Good evening, comedy geeks, and welcome to The Stefan Show. Now, we've already had Stefan Pejic, that's Stefan with one F. We now have Stefan Allen with two Fs. And so if your name is Stefan with three Fs, please get in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Stefan. Hello, nice to meet you. Stefan, hello. Hey, how's it going? Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. Oh, no worries. Thank you for having me. Comedy Geek Sketch Podcast. got Dan the man. Hiya. We've got Jamie. Hey there. And we've got the wonderful Stefan Allen, who has been doing some sketches for us today. So, Stefan, you've been doing uh, comedy for about eight years now. Yes, I think of this as year nine. I started early 2011, so I can easily sort of do the maths to work out where (laughs) I'm at. So how did you first get started in comedy? Um, Loved it, watched gigs. I I remember... uh, So I, I... Cause I, so I grew up speaking Welsh, so my interaction with comedy, my experience of it as a kid was watching uh, things like Nos on Lawen, which is sort of quite an old-fashioned, very traditional uh, variety show on S4C, um, sort of from the kind of farming agricultural tradition. Oh, who's that Welsh comedian? He was always on it. What was his name? Um, uh, so there was Ivan Griffith, who was my favourite. That's I don't him. Know if, yeah, yeah, I think it's a the shorter chap, is it? Uh, um, yeah, was it short? I, I think he was quite tall, Ivan Griffith. I don't know. I mean, oh, they, they had a bit of a they had a bit of a stable of acts that would do it. Um, he was the one who stayed with me because he was also in sitcoms and he did sketches and um, and yeah, it was it was really great. My brother and I were obsessed with these shows and we'd act out sketches or sort of memorise jokes from them. <laughs> and, uh, but we'd also be very critical. There'd also be acts we didn't enjoy so much that we'd tear to shreds as the, <laughs> to, the cool Critique. teenagers and kids that we yeah. were. And, um, and, and, and I think getting to stand-up was then realising that the English stand-up scene was sort of, you know, quite a bit... It was very different. Um, there, ha- there was, as it turns out, um, you know, a stand-up alternative comedy scene, as it were, in Welsh as well, but I hadn't experienced it myself. Um, it was sort of a much more underground thing. It didn't really get much support on S4C at the time. But, uh, but so I think the first time I saw it was there was uh, a documentary about Alan Davis and they showed clips of him doing stand-up. And it was just him talking about laundry and whatever. And it's stand-up, right? So it's funny. But it blew my mind. The idea that you could talk about laundry and be that funny that many times in a row, I couldn't believe it. And so um, I suppose shortly after that, I got into Bill Bailey and after that, Dave Gorman. And then in university, I just found out there was a local comedy club and you could go once a fortnight and just saw incredible acts there and... Um, it's like Cardiff, was it? No, that would have been oh. in Aberystwyth. Oh, Aberystwyth. Um, oh, which, to, and actually, yeah. it was a legendary gig yeah. among comedians. You know, it's nice talking to people. This would have been back in 2003. And if you talk to people who were gigging back then, they remember Aberystwyth as a place that was such 
so difficult to get to for most comedians it's so far away <laughs> yeah it's a bit uh, off the beaten track yeah. for a lot of them isn't it there's no easy way to get there isn't it unless That's you're it, fancy yeah. hiking across the yeah. Brecon Beacons uh, the, the yeah. trains of Aberystwyth are a national scandal <laughs> <laughs> so what was but, your first ever gig like so my first ever gig was for Sarah Bridgman who you'll know yes um, had her on the show it was it was because I'd been duck buddy Hi, Sarah. Yeah, yes, hello, Sarah. So she ran a, a new material night at the time uh, called uh, the Pocket Rocket. It was in the garage, um, a venue in Swansea, and it was it was really nice. So I I rehearsed my set a million times, like everyone. Well, <laughs> like you'd hope everyone does when they're new. <laughs> yeah. And yes. um, like I'd performed it to my wife, uh, you know, in the living room for feedback. And, does she find you funny? Uh, she is very. She's absolutely brilliant. She's a great editor and a great critic so yeah she does we've chair a sense of humor that's one of the things that bonds us but she's also got a very good eye for what needs doing and mm. so she'd give me notes and i wasn't good enough to be able to act on all those notes at the time but um but they were very useful and uh, and then a ton of friends and family i think 25 people came to watch me at that first one because it was <laughs> just all the people who were excited to <laughs> see me do it and i was very nervous and almost silent before going on which oh, well, I, let's see i did the opposite for my first time I just yeah. didn't invite anybody just me and you wasn't it yeah was like, I, I always find it more difficult to perform in front of people I know if it's a bunch of strangers it's, it, it's yeah. the same the same applies for music as well I always find it better yeah <laughs> I, I, th- I wonder if part of it is that community thing you know I'm, I'm very much a person in my community very close with my family and my friends again maybe it's a Welsh language thing where your world is very small and you know that you know you all end up knowing each other and so, so I, I think the idea that I could be an unknown anonymous comedian and that my family would never see it was unthinkable <laughs> even as an open mic comic I just thought well nah people, you know my family's going to end up seeing this so I might know well about it within a few minutes <laughs> yeah um, but I think it was helpful I, I before going I'd, I'd attended some local gigs and I'd made a list of the things that were cliches the things that everyone was doing and I thought I'll deliberately not do any of those ah. things um, so the big things I remember was I went to see one gig there were seven acts on um, open mic and well I say open mic you understand that yeah. these are the ones you, you have to get booked in advance but you're not getting paid you're, you're there to try stuff out and to try and learn the ropes um, and six of the seven acts at this gig used the sentence I'll tell you a bit about myself and so that was becoming just a bit of a cliche. So I thought, okay, I'll avoid that. And doesn't mean you can't talk about yourself, no. but I'll int- I won't introduce that by saying that's what I'm going to do. Um, they all swore, which I think is very common in stand-up. I think stand-up's about tackling taboos. And so um, it's yeah. always been, you know, uh, not afraid to swear. But yes. I thought, well, because everyone is, I won't. So I'll, yeah. I'll... Do you know, I saw a video of my first time. It's funny you say that. And I realised I swore yeah. all the way through it. And I don't yeah. really swear that much. I only when... swear in the car. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you end up being an authentic version of yourself. So you, you know, if you're naturally quite sweary, you'll swear on stage. But if you're not, mm. yeah, there's no point in forcing it. Yeah. Either. Um, yeah. I think I'm, I'm not a, necessarily a very natural. Like I, you know, I'll swear, but it's I'm not. Um, yeah, there's a there's a time and a motherfucking place, yeah. isn't there? Well, <laughs> well, the things the thing that's happening now, this many years on, is that I. I'm actually needing to swear a little bit more on stage because if I don't, I come across as being a bit stiff, like I'm, you know, like in, <laughs> like a, in a week, in a week. Well, the rule <laughs> is you want to match the tone of the room you're playing. So if you're if you're doing a weekend comedy club and there's 450 people in the room on a Friday night, well, for starters, you should dress similarly to them. So if they're if they're in shirts, you should also be in a shirt because the way that you endear yourself to an audience is by making them think you are one of them. 
And so if you're in a comedy club and you're dressed like them, they'll go, oh, he's one of us. Brilliant. So I, I got I'm this. screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, but again, you, you, it's, it's always within. You should be the sort of person who could be part of their gang. And not everyone does. Some people go the opposite way completely and just come out like these weirdos from outer space. And that works for them, too. But for me, I think I, I work best when I'm relatable and when people think of me as someone friendly and chummy that they can talk to afterwards, which, you know, obviously comes with its own uh, sort of downsides. But I think is broadly a very positive thing. I think yeah, it's people, great. And you've yeah. got such a good energy on stage as well, which oh, comes you. across really well. Comedy. We want to talk about Welsh language yes. as well. Okay. When did you step into that? Um, my third, my fourth ever gig was a Welsh language gig. Noel James had seen me perform at an English... Hi, uh, Noel. Hi, hello, Noel. Noel uh, at uh, an English open mic. Realised that I could... Perform- well, he asked me if I could perform in Welsh, and my feeling was I can barely perform in English, so yeah, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I'm no more disadvantaged in Welsh. And, uh, and so I started doing gigs for him, and they were so much harder... Uh, because at the time there was no history or tradition of it. Re- well, there was some, you know, yeah. but... Um, sort of making it up as you went along. Maybe. Yeah, there the, weren't the regular format. gigs yeah. per se. And so, yeah, you're, the audience didn't know what to expect and I wasn't good enough to transcend those gigs. I had one gig that was so difficult. I remember coming home and saying to my wife, that's it, I'm never gigging in Welsh again. It doesn't <laughs> no. work in Welsh. Which is so bizarre because my Welsh is better than my English and, and that is my world. But it turns out it was just, I wasn't experienced enough to do well in the, you get offered gigs too early when you're in a niche and because there weren't many comedians in Welsh I was getting all these amazing opportunities but some of them were beyond me yeah. uh, but then a few maybe six months later Noel saw me trying this new set in English it was around the time of do you remember the London Olympics because at the same time there was a big I think a royal wedding or a jubilee or something I can't I'm not, I don't, I'm not a royalist mm, so I don't remember what it was um, William, maybe? But it was... Oh. oh, it might have been, like, the anniversary of a coronation or something. Okay. But um, but basically, like, the royals were suddenly, like, really in the press. And, there, and, well, it was an observation my friend Christine pointed out to me, was that people... There would be products officially tied into the Olympics, or presumably there were monarchy-themed merchandise as well but they, a lot of things would just plonk a union jack on their packaging and that would be a sort of catch-all <laughs> way of when cashing in when you said about the olympics the first thing i was thinking of yeah. was the merchandise because i remember coca-cola were doing glasses and stuff yeah and it was just a coca-cola glass in a box yeah with the union jack yeah. on it that yeah. was it <laughs> that's it so and yeah i remember horrible first... stuffed toys Oh, I don't As remember well, the stuff. Awful. Well, because it was only the stuff that I was buying anyway that I noticed. Mm. So, so I bought um, a, a bar of chocolate. Um, I think it was Cadbury's had the Union Jack on it. And, you know, as a sort of Welsh-speaking child of Welsh nationalists, I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I have a natural aversion to that flag and find it very awkward. <laughs> and, and so I was like, oh, God, I can't believe this is happening. Um and uh, and then Christine pointed out the thing is you don't know what they're endorsing, you know whether it's the the Olympics or the, and I thought yeah, that's a wedding. funny concept that you're like I'm happy to eat something from a Union Jack bar of chocolate 
I'm happy to eat the chocolate if it's to tie into the Olympics because I'm because I I that's fine. Live and let live. I don't mm-hmm. care. But if this is endorsing the royal family, I don't want any part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of ended up building this set around like all the different products. So I bought. So I I had three different things that had Union Jacks on it, and then the joke was that they're all slightly different. So one was a bag of Haribo had a Union Jack on it. Um, one was um, Spitfire Kentish Ale. The joke being that that's always got a Union Jack on it, obviously. Um, and then the third thing was um, they released like a, a royal blue bottle of um of lucasade uh and so my so the, so the joke would be that i care passionately about it because the existence of this bottle means you can finally make a rainbow of lucasade bottles <laughs> uh because you you know you, you use original for red orange lemon for yellow and <laughs> yeah. and so on and this one is the indigo which is otherwise not represented in the thing and um and anyway, Noel saw me do this routine and, and it, it ends up being sort of quite... I guess the joke of it is that I'm trying to do observational comedy, but the but, but I my observations are so specific to me that they don't really connect with anyone. So I'm getting annoyed at the audience for not buying into the conceit. And a lot of that comes from... I mean, you know, right? Like, you do open mics when you're quite new and a lot of the audience don't really care or buy into it and they're not engaged. Yeah. And so this was my way of kind of forcing them to engage because I would go up to people and tell them what color is this bottle and the idea was that I would stop when someone said indigo but as everyone guessed other colors I would get increasingly annoyed <laughs> and then people would guess absurd people kept saying look it's blue and I'd go it's not blue this is blue and reveal from my bag another bottle of Lucasade this one, the, <laughs> it was like the tropical flavor that was blue for the sky and if someone said purple I'd go no this is purple and get like the black currant one or whatever ah, and so slowly uh, it's, it doesn't feel like a healthy thing but then, incrementally honing in so, on the yeah, correct color so slowly but surely and then and then usually the next color people would say was green because that was like the absurd one that, <laughs> that would come out of nowhere and I'd be like no I've got green as well and then <laughs> that gets a big laugh because I've, I'm covered for all of them but what it means is I'm slowly building up this rainbow in secret on the on the table oh in the right order so, yeah and, and yeah. so it's so so by the time someone finally so eventually someone clocks rainbow is it indigo and I go yes it's indigo one of the first seven colours you learnt and no one remembers uh. it <laughs> um, so and, and it's all sort of built in this kind of Welsh nationalistic anti-monarchy thing so, so it was a lot of fun but um, but then Noel said I think that would work in Welsh would you be up for doing it in Welsh at my club and I said ah, I don't gig in Welsh anymore I've decided stand-up doesn't really work in Welsh. And he said, I'll give you 40 quid. So I said, okay, when do you do it? <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> Because yeah. when you're that new, 40 quid is untold yeah. riches, it's, you know, for a paid gig like that. Most I've been paid for a gig, so I was like, yeah. three pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, so I went and did it in Welsh and it worked better in Welsh because suddenly the observations did connect and I realised, oh, yeah. maybe that's the joke, is that in English I'm this kind of outsider who doesn't really understand the world I'm in. But in Welsh I completely understand it. This is my world, I'm talking to my people. And as soon as I started doing that, it, my gigs in Welsh started going incredibly well. So I was, six months later I was on telly doing that exact set and yeah. it was one of the first, it wasn't the first, but it was it was one of the first... Um, new stand-up shows that S4C put out as part of like a renewed interest in alternative what comedy. What shows that like? Gig- so this was Giggle. This Gig- was, Giggle, uh, yeah. that's it, yeah. Um, they did, so they did two shows that year. There was Gwerthiachan as well, which had very experienced and prestigious comedians doing longer sets, and then Giggle sort of mostly focused on newer acts. Mm. Um, you know, not entirely newer, but usually it was newer acts doing shorter sets. And um, and then that was the making of my career in Welsh, really. Like, it, it, there was a... I was, I was put at the end of the first 
first episode so that so it makes you look like a closing oh, act. Oh, headliner. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we were all on the same money and all performed just as long, but they left more of my set in than anyone else's in that yeah. episode. Brilliant. So so Welsh language Twitter was like a you know sort of talking about how my set had gone and and so that opened a lot of doors. So it for, for a long time most of my money came from gigging in Welsh even though I was doing most of the gigs that I did were in English but I'd yeah. do them for much cheaper there's, there's <laughs> less people doing the Welsh language yeah. there, wasn't there? Yeah. so there's more demand for people who could do it well and, yeah. Yeah. yeah are you yeah. doing lots of gigs abroad as well uh, no I do no gigs abroad I've got a joke in my sack okay, about doing I was, gigs abroad I was thinking that you most of my gigs travel? are in England so, yeah. that, so that's my joke yeah. <laughs> sort of abroad yeah, yeah. Um, do you need your passport but um, but yeah, that, that's always how I open a, ju- a, a a gig in England. Is is it's nice to be abroad because I think it just <laughs> puts into context that I'm someone who is so of Wales that I don't really understand the country. Even you know because because I think people don't understand the Welsh language culture is still its own separate thing. And you know I don't feel particularly British. I don't. I certainly don't feel English. Um, but I, I don't. I don't think it, I, I don't even feel Anglo-Welsh particularly. You know, I'm a Welsh speaker who's learnt English and can get by. Ah, okay. But uh, and um, you know, of yeah. course, I've, and the other way around. I, I I'm mm. first language English, but I learnt yeah. Welsh. But there we go. Yeah, yeah. still glad I did. Obviously. Yeah, and and that's it. And do yeah. you feel that feeling of being? There is this culture there, and I'm not quite part of it, but I can partake. I don't know where I sit because. Obviously, being an English-speaking Welshman growing yeah. up, I felt very much not a part of... So, not so much as a lot of my yeah. classmates and stuff yeah. as part of that Welsh community. But then I went to university in Oxford, mm. and then suddenly I didn't feel part of yeah. that community either. Yeah. I felt like I had to sort of represent Wales then. Yeah. So I joined like, the Welsh Language Society, and, and then, only then, realised... Ah, okay. This is what I've missed out on. Yeah, you know, and yeah. And I, well, I think a lot of people feel um, a lot of comedians start because they're outsiders, and I because I think it makes you see the world in a different way. You've got this other lens to see it through. Um, there's a, a, a brilliant Australian comic called Alice Fraser who says that you know loads of Australian comics come to the UK to do comedy because you know you're away from home, you're an outsider by definition, and uh, and and yeah, you notice that a lot of people doing comedy are, you know, not necessarily. Maybe they're not living in their hometown, or maybe mm. they're of this slightly strange or unusual background. Uh, you know, whether in terms of their culture or their language or their religion, or um, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people are, go on to great success as comedians by talking about um, their backgrounds. You know, maybe sort of uh, people of color or. or yeah. um, Exactly. Queer comedians, yeah. you know, there's there's yeah. so many different. Um, it gives you that extra sort of observational angle, doesn't it? That perhaps yeah. other people haven't even thought about. Yeah, I, I I think I th- I do think it's something quite something I spot all the time is you will get when you see a, a heterosexual comedian talking about uh, their romantic interests, they never bother to explain that they're heterosexual. They just kind of launch into it and going, "I was chatting up this woman," and you go, "A gay act would have to clarify that he was gay." Uh, or she like they they you don't have the luxury of just going <laughs> look just roll with the punches audience <laughs> uh, and um and i think the more you have to explain yourself often the funnier you are so i think if i have to explain at the start that i'm i know i'm speaking in english and i realize that i'm reasonably good at it but this is my second language and i think in welsh and i'm still slightly outside of myself here 
because there's always a part of you when you, you know, it doesn't matter how fluent you are in a language. There's always a part of you that feels like what you're saying is artificial. I just mm. noticed your T-shirt as well. It's brilliant. Oh, Can yeah. you describe your T-shirt? So my T-shirt is a, <laughs> is a camera with a, that is flashing and it says cows, which is the Welsh word for cheese. <laughs> uh, and it's hey, from, everybody. <laughs> I got cheese. Um, it's one of many... I, I, I have a bunch of secret Welsh language T-shirts that I bought the first time I did Edinburgh because I thought any Welsh speakers in the audience will come up and talk to me afterwards. Ah, um, yeah. And that was before I was talking about the language on stage, really, whereas now... I talk about it to, to an extreme. So, <laughs> so Welsh speakers absolutely will come up to me afterwards, which is lovely because it's nice. This is it. I'm learning Welsh at the moment and I really want to come to a gig and yeah. see it and be able to understand it. So yeah. that's, that's the aim. Well, it's a real pleasure seeing people gig and perform in two different languages, I think, and, and seeing the difference. And, uh, and I know people who don't speak Welsh at all who've been to Welsh language gigs in order to see visually what it looks like and it's interesting hearing their take on my set because I suppose I'm quite a different comedian in Welsh in a lot of ways even though you know I'm still me and I've still got my voice and face <laughs> but <laughs> what would you say as well is your your best and your worst gig um oh that's so difficult my best gig there's a gig called Quantum Leopard that runs in London and it's a it's run by a guy called James Ross who decide who made a list of everything he hated about gigs in London, and then he set out to create the exact opposite. So he hated the gig being too far away from the centre, so he would make sure the gig was central. He hated gigs where the venue charged too much for drinks. So initially it was bring a bottle, and then later he just found a nice supportive bar that wouldn't overcharge. Um, He hated gigs that ran on too late so he had a strict we will finish on time at 10 o'clock or ten thirty. i can't remember um and so on and so forth but then the other thing he did as well was he made it um a safe space gig so the, these are gigs where there is a specific policy that says you are not allowed to be making homophobic jokes or sexist jokes um any sort of bigoted jokes uh but also he has policies about talking to the audience um what he does now is when the audiences arrive they wear a sticker and a green sticker means you're allowed to talk to them if you're on stage. And a red sticker means I That's don't want to be talking really to them. So it's like an opt-in. That's a great yeah. idea. Which means all the red sticker people can relax and go, it's fine. I don't have to feel stressed in case they talk to yeah, me. Yeah, because some people, like my wife, just oh, does yeah. not like, you know, the thought of... Because she's a really big fan of, say, like, Darren Brown. Oh, right? We've yeah. been to see him live about Brown. seven or eight times. Yeah. But every time we go, I always go, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be really cool if he picks us? Yeah. No, no. Oh, no, no. Yeah. And then you can just see the terror yeah. in her face. And same at comedy gigs. Yeah. And, and, it does oh. put a lot of people off, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think comedians respect that anxiety enough because, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of people's worst nightmares. I think comedians can't relate, really, because we're all show-offs and we love being spoken to, but... Um, <laughs> Should we tell our listeners about the time that you spoke to us? Oh, yeah, you came <laughs> to my came show, to show before I knew you. <laughs> yeah, and, normally, uh, nobody speaks to me because they all know me. Mm. Stefan took one look at Amy and went, I recognise you. Um, how do you guys all know each other? And I just blurted straight out, we do a comedy podcast. And what <laughs> yes. did you say? Um, oh, yeah, that was the first time I'd have said this, which was, uh, yeah, I love podcasts because they're like radio no one asked you to make. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, so, so, I th- so I suppose, yeah, so I think Quantum Leopard's my best gig because everyone is so relaxed that and so lovely. lovely. Yeah. Um, Let's check that out. And, uh, and I take a lot of pleasure in playing it almost 
almost as if I'm hostile to the idea of how nice they are. Because because everyone goes there and says, oh, this is the nicest gig in the world. And I quite like going, yeah, it is nice, which is a bit annoying because I'm all of my skills have been developed around performing to intolerant bigots. So <laughs> you're laughing too much. They do, they laugh too much. You have to... If I've got if I'm performing for twenty minutes, I have to basically do ten minutes of material because <laughs> they're because they're so they're cutting into your time. The safer people feel, the more they laugh, and so because everyone is so relaxed there, and and James picks the acts very very carefully. So yeah, it's it's just ludicrous. But so it's always a treat to do that gig. It's be- it's not even work. It's just that's my reward for, for all the hard uh, gigs yeah. yeah and then worst gigs ah, they're all boring bad gigs I think I mean a lot of comedians love telling these stories but I just think the the worst gigs are the ones where there's not enough audience the ones who are there aren't very aren't very engaged and maybe they're talking among themselves and not paying oh, attention oh I hate people yeah. talking during comedy gigs I did one very funny bad gig um, so I did TV warm up so it was a, a Welsh language sports based panel show. Uh, and so your job is to come out first and you've got half an hour to entertain the audience, make them laugh, uh, get them ready to laugh at the actual panel show. Uh, and inevitably in, a sh- in, in this show, there would never be the full half hour because all TV shows run late and you're the one thing that they can cut down. So I had five minutes to come out wow. and get them ready. And I come out and I'm going all, all just just throwing absolutely everything at this audience and I just get nothing. And, and you know a TV show is hard, a TV warm-up is hard because they're there to see the famous sports people. They're not really there to see a comedian beforehand. And, you know, who knows where the, the, they found these people, you know, where, where you rustle up a, an audience at the last minute. Um, but I just got absolutely nothing and it was horrific. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, do you know Chris Needs? Yeah, radio yeah, presenter yeah. so um, <laughs> Chris Needs was talking you know we, we were in the green he was on the show um, properly and so we'd been talking in the green room before and so he finds me looking upset afterwards <laughs> feeling a bit da- sorry for myself and he goes are you alright I said oh, I'm fine it's just that that's the hardest gig I've ever done and he said well thing is what you've got to remember is they're here to see the show they're not here to see you and I said yeah that's true thanks Chris he said also I don't know if this will have affected anything but none of them can speak Welsh <laughs> oh I was well. Okay. Yeah, I think that might have affected it, Chris. <laughs> Why? And it tu- because it turns out now because they desperately me. need an audience. If they can't find Welsh speakers, they'll just pad it oh, out. No. Oh no! There was only one Welsh speaker in the entire audience, and it was. Do you know Penny Matthews? It was her dad. I know. Yes. <laughs> was also oh, that. So it was just no. one person to witness my shame, and the rest of them did. And I thought, well, if I'd known. <laughs> Like, oh, my God. Like, oh, it's just... And I'm looking back going, well, no wonder they weren't going for the crowd work. Like, no one was talking or anything. And I thought, all right, I'll just plough ahead. Absolutely horrific. Brilliant. (laughs) I was about to ask the question, um, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on stage? Is there anything that tops that? Uh... That's that's definitely the most embarrassing. I've occasionally performed with my fly undone, but that's broadly yeah. fine. It's oh a no, no! Show. I know exactly what the most yeah. embarrassing thing I've done because I've done it twice, and it's get the gender of a member of the audience wrong. Oh no! Oh, I, and and I try and be so careful and, and thoughtful about that. And you know, I th- you know, like twice. I think because we're because we're living in an amazing time for gender at the yeah. minute. I think where the, where people are so aware that gender you know is something that you can 
you know, that people are misgendered from birth and the, 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 that is something you can correct and, and be mindful of. We have, you know, um, you know, I know it's still not easy to be transgender in, in 2019, but it's, it feels like we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, we're kind of, we're trying our best now aren't yeah. we, to get it to go all that way. You know? I have, yeah. I have, you know, multiple friends now um, who identify as non-binary as, as, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it re- so, so I feel like it is awful if I get that wrong on stage because the, the stakes are so high and, and it wasn't because I was talking to transgender people and got it wrong. I, it was because I was talking to someone who had cool fashion, <laughs> like maybe slightly androgynous fashion. There, there, there was one, so it was a, a student, um, sort of a 19-year-old woman who, uh, the first time, and and I just kept calling her sir until someone caught my eye and said, that's, oh, no. that's and, I, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I, I you know, yeah. I explained, I said, you're dressed so androgynously, I'm so sorry, that's my mistake. I mean, I guess you get that all the time she said absolutely not that is the oh, first time that it has. <laughs> <laughs> felt so bad oh. um yeah i i, I think I, i'm always more embarrassed if i embarrass an audience member than if i embarrass myself i don't mind making a fool of myself but yeah. i hate yeah. the feeling of making anyone else feel uncomfortable so what's the one story that your family would always tell about you oh what a good question i don't know i'd have to ask them i suppose Yes, yeah, ring them now. <laughs> <laughs> Text my brother. You're live on a podcast. I think I'm a bit, I'm a bit boring in my family. Um, you know, my brother's got all sorts of very exciting adventure stories and all these sort of bizarre and ridiculous things he's done throughout his life. Um, you know, my, there's plenty of stories of my dad saying stupid things or, um, uh, or, or sort of, you know, a famous story about my dad is that he believed that seahorses were fictional, and <laughs> <laughs> we're always st- see by the confusion and, that arise. Yeah, but I think I'm more like my mother, really. Like my mother loves jokes, and so the way she's funny is she just, you know, she loves pl- plays on words and puns, and um, we get on, and, me and her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's your sort. So I think we we've all, so, so I think I think I'm fairly vanilla as a person. I just live my own quiet life. I don't, so yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I'll, I'll, I'm sure there will be a story they tell behind my back, but I don't know okay. what it would be. Mm. What's the most significant decision of your life? Um, oh, very, yeah, very we're getting good deep now. Question. Yeah, dig in. Gosh, okay, because I've made a lot of major life choices without really thinking about it. You know, I went to university because that's what everyone did. Um, I got a job straight after that because, again, that's what people would do. I felt the same. I thought everyone did yeah. school, college, uni, learn to drive, mm, yeah. job. So I didn't learn to drive, but it's the only thing I didn't do. I bought a house within six months of leaving university because I didn't realise it was meant to be hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I have all these friends going, oh, you got on the property ladder early. And I just thought, but I thought people bought houses because I hadn't understood. And I thought, oh, it's expensive. But I just sucked it up and thought, I guess I'll just have to go without. I just moved back in with my parents for six months, saved up, bought a house with Going my... Without food for a few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, my parents didn't charge me rent. I'd been very frugal. Is that the right word? I'd yes. not yeah, spent much money in um, yeah. university. I'd, be, I'd had a scholarship so I was able to get by on scholarship money and just pocketed the student loan and kept it in the bank so I just had a lot of money saved up already so six months of full-time employment and I was done and me and my then girlfriend now wife moved in together we had um yeah it was was so so I I think and then I I so maybe it's starting to do stand-up but even then that's low stakes isn't it because you try it to see if you like it Mm. so I think the first time I had to make a major decision was when my 
when actually people were giving me good gigs and I was making a bit of money from it, not enough to survive, but, you know, the odd thing here and there. By this point, I was freelancing as a, as a translator. And so I think I made the decision, I'm going to have to stop translating because if I... If I tra- like translation, obviously takes up most of your time when that's your job, and I thought if I keep doing this, I'm never going to throw myself properly into comedy. Yes, um, I'd spoken to people who'd said that they became full time comics when, or rather, their careers took off when they became parents because suddenly they had to have gigs because mm. the, there was a baby. <laughs> uh, and I thought, well, uh, that sure. um, yeah. um, yeah. well, that seems like an extreme. That's a lot of material comes from the kids as well. That's true, yeah. Well, it becomes your life, doesn't it? And I thought, well, I need to make comedy my life. I need to incentivize myself to do it. So I just stopped taking translation work. And I could still take the odd job here and there if I needed the money desperately last minute, you know. And, I could, and, and also, I've still got friends in the industry who might occasionally ask me for a favour and it's nice to have a little bit of extra pocket money but predominantly I just thought I'm just going to do stand-up and that first year was horrifically difficult Um, yeah yeah. yeah. I was I was living off um, my lunch every day was half a tin of soup so I'd buy these tins of soup in 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 Lidl or what have you and then just have half a tin of that every day and that was my lunch and no more I was skipping breakfast and just go um, I was I I wasn't showering unless I had a gig that day so that I wouldn't go through shampoo and conditioner too quickly it's the uh, artistic struggle isn't it you hear about so often yeah and it's funny because I was still I still had a mortgage so I still had to pay that and I I still had to pay my bills Um, my wife at the time was studying part time uh, conservation uh, so that because she wanted a job in the field so so we were both investing in our futures you know neither of us was was in a it was in a job other than that you know um so yeah we were bringing in vet so i was three months behind on my mortgage at all times because that's as far as you can fall back before you get in real trouble so i was having to make sure i was just about able to pay it and you know constantly on the phone to people talking about bills apologizing for not paying and going look i will have money coming in and but it forces you to get out there and do it and that year was horrific but it means i've got a career now And so because the next year was easier, the next year was easier again. And by now I'm able to not just pay all my bills with comedy, but also I can take every Monday off. (laughs) That's that's my new thing is I take me and my wife have Mondays together and that's our time. Yeah, Monday's my day off, actually. It's nice, isn't it? As a musician, I love a Monday. Monday's my Sunday. Yes, yeah. uh... (laughs) None of the tourist attractions are open, which is a pain. (laughs) But um, Bank holiday Monday. (laughs) So, yeah, so I guess that in answer to your question, my biggest decision was taking the plunge and trying to make Mm. comedy uh, a living. Well done for doing that, yeah. We're all better off for it. Your wife. Uh, we met in university, um, and it is what my second Edinburgh show was about. Oh, <laughs> so no spoilers. <laughs> okay. So tell us one thing you own and probably should throw out, but oh, wouldn't. Okay, almost everything in my house. <laughs> um, I'm reason. I uh, yeah. I don't know. As soon as I realise, I probably shouldn't. Oh, it's it's. I've got so many DVDs, and I'm that I'm never going to watch again. Oh, what, what do you do with all your DVDs? Yeah. Isn't it? I, I, like, I've got Stop It and them. Tidy Up on DVD. I'm never going to watch Stop It and Tidy Up again. <laughs> what do you is remember? That? It was um, it was a children's TV yeah. show from the eighties where every character was named after something your parents would say. Yeah, I yeah, I remember that. So they called things like Grow Up and Go to School. And things like that. We've got a few like random 80s TV 
kid shows on yeah. DVD that we're probably never going to watch. I think Eerie Indiana. I love Eerie Indiana. What yeah. an underrated show. That is I know. Isn't that, it's we, did, we actually did watch quite a yeah. lot. Of that. I think we must be roughly the same age, you and me, Dan, if we yeah. were growing up on similar um, telly. 1983. Um, 85. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my brother was 85. Then, yeah. Yeah. I was more He Man and She Yeah. But my. My younger brother's actually named after He-Man. Oh, really? Yeah, because my mother said, uh, what should we call the new baby? Yeah. And my I'm assuming said, he's Adam rather well, than yeah, He-Man yeah. Webber. My brother was going, He-Man, He-Man. <laughs> She's like, you know, Paul, we're not going to call the child yeah. He-Man. Mm. Prince Adam. Yeah. So yeah, I called him Adam. Lovely. Doesn't go by Prince. It was uh, it was slightly, <laughs> slightly before my time that, but, but I had a lot of the action figures growing up because a lot of my action figures came from sort of charity shops and car boot sales and things. And so the kids who were about five years older than me would have given all the you know They'd their toys would have had a clear out. Yeah, I looked. I had I had a, a seventeen Peter Venkmans out of Ghostbusters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I say what you don't don't realize how many DVDs you've got until you've got to move house. Yeah, so, Jamie. Oh yeah, <laughs> so you couldn't yeah, move in your living room the No, I've got like moving. I had about four full big plastic storage boxes mm. full of DVDs. Oh. Well, I've still got loads of Buffy and Angel uh, VHS. Tapes <laughs> and it's like, what do I do? Yeah, oh, I yeah. you need you need to you need to make that choice now. I've got to be ruthless. Yeah, just yeah. I took all my just, just a tip. Yeah, just chuck them in. Yeah. and just. It was yeah. like ripping off a plaster. Yeah. Done. It's strange when it's a collection, is it? Because I had all of friends on VHS, and I could only part with them when I got a DVD box out of it because yeah. because it yeah. took years to build it up, and it feels sad to yeah. get rid of them. I've um, got all of Doctor Who on DVD, but oh. Doctor Who did this awful thing of releasing. They would release two, four, or six episodes on one disc. So I've got two shelves for, because the, the you know the 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 full twenty set. You're a Doctor yeah. Who person. Yeah. 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 Full yeah. of DVDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, that's yeah. it. So, like, and I love my collection, but I also think, well, they're bringing them out on Blu ray now, and it feels very extravagant to upgrade, but also it would save so much space. Oh, it's all going into like streaming and stuff now, isn't it? We're yeah. That's the next thing. Isn't well, it? that's the thing. And, and, the, and actually, I like having things on DVD because I like having them on tap. With Doctor Who, especially, I'm like, if I want to watch The Enemy of the World, I want to watch it now. I don't want to. It's wanna, nice to have something wait. tangible as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're paying money out, so you want to. I, yeah, that, I mean, that's my rule on books, actually, is, is you know, so I used to feel bad about how many books I own that I will never uh, uh, read. But then I thought of how many shoes my mother owns that she'll never wear. And I think it's similar. It's They bring me joy yeah. to have, oh, almost I, as decorations. I've and, got like, see that bookshelf right there? Yeah. That's not even, all my books are in the act. Ah, that's yeah. just the ones, like reference yeah. books that I've got out. But, um, mm. Yeah. So what's your, what's your favourite Doctor Who episode of well, all my time? Fav- my favourite Doctor Who episode of all time is, ve- it always changes, I suppose at the mi- do you know what, it might be the most recent one at the minute, it might be Resolution, the, the Jodie Whittaker really? Um, oh. New Year's special, I loved New- it. That was good wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was listening that. to David Tennant does a podcast the other day oh yeah. And he had Jodie Whittaker on it I and it was that. brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my wife really loves good. Tennant, she's yeah. obsessed yeah, she's yeah. got me into listening to that as well I loved when he was with Catherine, Catherine Tate yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, the chemistry there was really 2008 good. 2008 series, really thanks. Yeah. Tell us one thing you have habitually overspent on, mm. but do not regret. Oh, what a good question. Um, do, uh, hooch. 
Yeah, 90s soft drink. Yeah, they do. Uh, uh, and uh, still have a little cartoon lemon on the. Uh, no, the cartoon. Yeah, it's now just a generic picture of a lemon because it was controversial because because <laughs> kids, kids liked the lemon so much. Yay. Well, they would drink it, and uh, and uh, a public <laughs> scandal was born. I remember it well. Yeah, <laughs> um, maybe. What else do I? Sp- I mean, I mean, I Doctor Who non-fiction books and fiction books for that matter. I, uh, but again, absolutely no regrets. I'm reading. <laughs> they they released a ninety-volume series of the behind-the-scenes show. Uh, I am buying them all. Wow, ninety ninety volume. It's so detailed, but it's absolutely brilliant because what, you just books? yeah yeah. I've got one on me. I'll show you. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so this is volume two. I think Jamie's just found his so new got... best friend. Yeah. <laughs> so this covers roughly three months of television. You know, it's just it's so detailed. But it's amazing the things you learn. That's so, the first Doctor on the cover. Like, yeah, it is, is, yeah. The first yeah. ten volumes are the, oh the, the William Hartnell Doctor. Um, but you just, because it's so detailed, you just learn stuff that is so fascinating. So I've just learned that... Um, so William Russell, who played Ian, one of the first um, companions, he was a school teacher uh, character. Um, but the actor got annoyed because the first time Doctor Who got a Radio Times cover, it was to tie into uh, a Marco Polo story they did. And the Radio Times cover was William Hartnell as the Doctor with two of the guest cast, the guy playing Marco Polo and the guy playing the villain. And uh, William Russell was furious because he was like, "I'm a member of the main cast. I'm not in, and I'm not on the Radio Times cover." It's, it's scandal, and had a word with his agent, and it was a big drama. Wow. And he thought, "Of course, imagine now if they did a radio." Actually, there's so many of them in the main cast now that it probably does happen. Yeah. But imagine if um, Billy when Piper. Catherine Te- Billy Piper oh, yeah. wasn't, <laughs> yeah, that's it. If if they had David Tennant with. Uh, I don't know, so, like Simon Pegg or someone who <laughs> happened to be in that episode and and, and just didn't have the... Aww, yeah, yeah so, so it's so interesting. And also I've learnt that... Um, so uh, Jacqueline Hill, who played Barbara, uh, another of the first companions, she was in a film uh, where the male lead dropped out very last minute and she suggested an actor she'd worked with a few times that re- she really liked. Uh, and the direct, male director said, I'm not... I'm not I don't think he'll be able to carry... He's not a leading man. And she said, trust me, because women will love him. Um, and it was the 60s, so she meant straight women. Uh, but uh, So they hired this guy, and it was Sean Connery, and that was his first lead role. <laughs> so there's just all this... Sean who? Fascinating <laughs> stuff that you learn from... Uh, so, yeah, I just, I, I just love learning the same story over and over again, but in increasing levels of detail. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I was yeah. booked to be um, the body double for Jodie Whittaker. Oh, were you? Doctor Who. And Sorry. Cancelled the scene. Oh. And I, was, I was gutted. Oh, Absolutely gutted. So I'm like still on hold mm. in case they're like, do you want a body double again? Can I, can I do it? I, I got to be an extra. I was nearly the body double of John Hurt oh. in, uh, in the anniversary episode. They, so, That's a good episode. Yeah, so, they, yeah. so, so I, was, I was booked for a day and a half to. Um, I was playing one of um, Elizabeth I's guards menacing the three different doctors. Oh, um, and uh, so I'm yeah, going to go back. Yeah, go and check. I'm yeah. one of the, uh, th- which means there's a Lego man of me because oh, they released oh, a Lego oh, set. Oh, of the, so there's a. <laughs> isn't that a claim to fame? Because I'm one of the background guards. You can have a little Lego me. You carry on. We need a picture. This is going to be our uh, yes. cover photo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got his own Lego. So. But they needed someone to they needed someone to be a double for two different things. They needed someone to be the feet of a Zygon, the alien in that episode. Okay. Um, because they were, there was just going to be a shot of the feet going past. So they just needed someone to put on the fake feet. And they needed someone 
um, to, yeah, to to wear John Hurt's Doctor Who costume um, for for a wide shot, I assume. Um, so they needed someone who was who had small enough feet to fit the Zygon feet, and only three extras did. Because so I've got size nine feet, which was unusually small for the for the people who were there, and um, <laughs> so I could fit the Zygon feet. Uh, but they also needed someone who was like a size fourteen, <laughs> um, and so I was too skinny to be in um, in the costume. If you weren't doing comedy and mm. Doctor Who, what would you be doing? Um, probably still translating. I suppose maybe screenwriting. Actually, I mean, the nice thing about stand-up is you can do everything else that you want to do. Because yeah, yeah. um, so I always wanted to be a screenwriter, um, and then I started doing stand-up, and I prefer stand-up actually. So I'm very happy where I am. But I've been given the chance to write scripts because of. And you've Stand been in BBC Sash as well. So I've been BBC Sash. Um, I got to write, write. I got to write for Doctor Who. Um, I've got to act in. Um, to well, in your for sketches Doctor for start. Well. Uh, no, not for Doctor Who. Sorry, what am I talking <laughs> about? Public Home. I got to write. Yeah, for. oh, brilliant. Um, Similar show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. See how you get them. Now I've been um, in that. I've written. I've, I've, and I've, and I, I mean, I've written the odd bit of like very spin-off Doctor Who. So I've written for Iris Wilde's time, who's um, sort of a '90s character from the novels. So she's um, she's a Time Lord who's got a TARDIS that is smaller on the inside side and it looks like a double-decker bus and her companion is a sentient um, stuffed panda and she's and she listens to Abba and it's absolutely brilliant and so it's like if Doctor Who was like a northern woman who drinks too much gin then that is what Iris Wildtime would be so I got to write that another level going deep very deep there I'm like a pretty big fan Jamie's like Doctor Who obsessed you're like like buying do you know the books come out like the talk about like the creation of those books you're going to buy them as well yeah I'm just going to keep zooming back and back and back yeah I I think I'm very thorough in whatever I like. Like, I love stand-up, and so I, I get very nerdy about it, and I love learning absolutely everything I can, so I listen to a thousand comedy podcasts. It's very, and, you're, obs- you're obsessive, yeah. which is very... Um, yeah, uh, it's just nice getting your teeth into involving. something. I think. I, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are like that. Like, even if they don't think it, you know, you'll meet someone at the... You'll meet a friend who doesn't think they're a nerd, but they're really into football, and then you talk to them, and they have memorised all the fixtures, they know all the results, they know exactly who mm-hmm. the players are. I think everyone's got their thing and mm. yeah um, I've got friends who are into like wrestling oh, you know every yeah. single I hate wrestling <laughs> so much I love it loads of my friends are into wrestling I think yeah. it, because, here's the thing because I think a lot of so wrestling has a big queer following and a lot of comedians are into it so so many of my friends <laughs> desperately love wrestling and I ju- it just upsets me on quite a visceral level. <laughs> like, I know it's pretend, but there's something about yeah, violent, aggressive men. Don't man. ever tell them it's pretend. Oh, yeah. my God. Mm-hmm. The, the reaction well, is... I, I, a lot of them really embrace that. You know, that. so, like, a, a lot of my friends are like, we like the fact that it's pantomime and that it's... It's a performance. Yeah. yeah. See, when Louis Theroux brought it up in his mm. documentary, do you remember that? And then mm. they, they made him do, like, a hundred push-ups till he... Yeah. I got and to work. I got to work with a wrestler once, and she was lovely. She was um, so. I did this show, which was, which took it was taking celebrities and teaching them to do stand up, and then they do their first gig. And so I got to do a couple of series of that, and I was the teacher, kind of bringing oh. bringing. So I worked with sort of actors and musicians and things. But yeah, one wrestler who um, yeah was just absolutely brilliant and really lovely. But what I just was thought, a wrestler name. Ah, oh, she would have had one. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I wish it was like somebody in Gladiators. You know, one of those. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, again, I, just, I was never really into all those stuff. Like, I, as a kid, I was never into.
into sports at all, including things like wrestling and gladiators, which I just thought of as basically sports. And now as an adult, I can enjoy a game of rugby. I've, I've been to see football live, but wrestling is still just so beyond me because I think what it's emulating, it, it really... Um, it ju- it, I, ju- I can't not engage with it properly. I n- it doesn't matter that I know that it's fake. There's just something about aggressive men shouting and, be- and <laughs> making threats of violence that I yeah. find deeply unpleasant. I can't watch boxing. Oh, yeah. 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 Someone described boxing to me the other day and explained how it works, and I thought, that is horrific. And I Because like, it, it seems awful anyway that you're punching each other in the face, but the yeah. idea is that you're trying to judder their heads so that their brains shake in their yeah. heads until they're dazed and I thought this is that's it's worse I would willingly go into something like that it's a gentleman's sport isn't it that's what people always but say but I understand it right you know a lot of people they, they like that if yeah. that's the thing you're into a lot into. of money on it as well isn't yeah. it really serious question yeah yeah okay serious question serious question time Stefan Allen if you had a superpower what would it be? It would be the ability to control time. Ooh, Slow down the flow. Yeah, no, I absolutely know my me. Yeah, we, me and my friends, we sat we, we, in, in 2008. In February 2008, we decided what our superpowers would be and they became codified. I, I would have the ability to control time and my superhero name would be Cronal. I would have a green costume uh, that was cowboy themed, so it would have a cowboy hat and a bandana. <laughs> That is my... Uh, very specific. That is the quickest answer we've had, because we ask everyone that. And that's this the, is incredible. So that's, because it buys you more time, right? If you can slow it down, it means you can think faster. It, it, it means you can... Like, I'm a piano player, and, and often the thing that frustrates me is I can play the piece, but I can't play it accurately at speed. If you can control time, you can just play it at half speed, and it sounds perfect to yeah. everyone listening. You can play over the period of a month. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It just gives you... It, it means if you get, you know... Like, I was mugged once, and... and the idea of being able to slow down time and just sort of, sort of bullet time think about it and go, okay, this punch is coming, so I know that I need to duck in this way. Because I love in Heroes, he- Heroes character in I Heroes. I love Heroes. Mm. Mm. Great, isn't he? Very yeah. up time. He so I had, yeah. this magic, you know, this face. Like, mm. squinty. Yeah. Then okay. my, my, I'll tell you my friend's powers as well. So I had one friend who wanted the ability to talk things into being so he would describe something and it would exist he describes a sword and now he's got a sword that's interesting uh, my, fr- uh, my friend Grace wanted the ability to control people's emotions so she could just make people happier if she needs to or or give people self-doubt when they need it you know the politician shouldn't <laughs> believe in themselves the side, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my friend Kaylee wanted the ability to um, well almost like a horticulturist to make flowers grow because you could you know solve word, well, like the issues of famine by just oh, yeah. sort of making yeah, yeah. you know growing crops um my friend James wanted invisibility. He's quite introverted, so I think that just appealed to him. What is the most ridiculous conspiracy theory you've ever heard, or would you like to make one up? Um, the most ridiculous one I've heard is the idea that Shakespeare did not write the works of Shakespeare. Um, so this is... Do, do you know that? Yeah. Like, this is, it's a really common one, and, and you even hear some actors talk... Like, it's become weirdly mainstream. But um, it's this interesting thing where no one believed that. That's until the Victorians. And then suddenly, in the Victorian era, it's birthed this this theory that actually someone else did it. And, it's incre- and, it's, and it comes from um, classism. It's this idea that, well, the, Shakespeare would not have the culture or the, or the vocabulary or whatever it is to, to write the plays that he did. So there's this idea that it must have been someone from some courthouse or whatever. And mm. uh, yeah. Oh, I'll t- actually, I'll tell you what. There's, um, I'm fascinated with people trying to work out who wrote the Mabinogion. 
so oh, the, yeah. so the, the so these are the Welsh myths, you know, the equivalent of it's our Odyssey or okay. um, what have you. So oh, these were word of mouth um, oral tradition stories. You know, uh, people would go to pubs and say, "Let me tell you the story of Bendy Gradefran, the giant who went to Ireland or whatever." And um, and eventually, in the 11th century, someone wrote them down. Well, monks wrote them down, but we don't really know who the author was who kind of mm. codified them. Passed and, down orally. Yeah, yeah, but you read it and you go. They would have been changed in the telling every time. You know, I think parts of them were obviously partly improvised. And so when you look at it, someone's made decisions. There's cult- there's references in the written versions to modern, like then modern yeah, stuff, like 11th century stuff. What do you mean there was a robot? Yeah, yeah there was yeah, a robot. Yeah, it's funny, there was a dragon like, and a robot. They would talk about, you know, like princes who wouldn't have existed in the 6th century where we know these stories come from. So you go, okay, so they were adapted. Someone's made conscious decisions to phrase it in this way. Yes. Who? Um, and loads of people have different theories about them. And we were will never know but what's amazing is whenever someone's got a theory it's almost always someone who's a bit like them so there'll be an Irish writer who thinks I think it was this Irish person who came over and blah 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 or someone who's like um, I think that I think it was a blind writer because it's like a blind academic it's so much fun to see when it could be anyone you'll always project and think it was someone like you (laughs) (laughs) and finally good sir Mm. Um, where can we follow you? Uh, so find me on Twitter. I am um, Stefan Allen, but um, no one can spell that. So um, S T A L U N um, Stalin, uh, which is the first two letters of my first name and my surname. But I didn't really think it through, did I? Um, and I'm also on. Uh, but then I embraced it for Instagram. I'm on Instagram as Stalingrad with a U. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That's great. Right. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Thanks so much for having me. So much me. fun. This has yes. been an absolute Lots blast. of fun. And lots of Doctor Who yes. trivia that we... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We Jamie's going to go home now and research all of these facts. <laughs> and a, yeah. An absolute delight. <laughs> absolute delight. No, it's been wonderful no, having it's you. It's been absolutely lovely. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Oh, thank, thank you, Jamie. Amy. Thank you, and Amy. Thank, thank you, Jamie. for listening. Thank you, Dan. Thank all of you. Thank you, listeners. Diolkan Vaur. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our show wherever you are in the podiverse and leave us a favourable rating. We'll be your best friends. The Comedy Geek Sketch Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Podbean, Radio Public and most half-decent podcatchers. Why not follow us on Facebook and Instagram or send us a tweet? We're easy to find wherever you are on the web. Just search for Comedy Geek Sketch Podcast. But that's that's the thing. Like I, I've always done free entry shows, and so I would flyer people saying, "Free stand up, come and see this." And I thought, if that was what the show was called, it would save me having to explain <laughs> that it's free and stand up. Because you don't realise until you get there. But you know, there's so many other genres up in Edinburgh. There's theatre and dance and music and and all sorts. So, so to actually say that it's stand up is stand up comedians don't think to do it. They always give their names shows like like Phil Cooper's show this year is going to be called Hamster in Colour. But you go that could be a musical. That could be what a theatre. They ended up in a Russian Yeah, movie. that's it, I right? Remember who that yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, cuz they thought it's they, they just assumed everything was comedy, which I did. Yeah. So I thought it was all comedy. But so I've yeah, that's it. It's easy. It's an easy mistake and all comedians think it is and then you get there and realize you're a tiny drop in the ocean. So I've always made sure that it's 
clear from the title that it's free and that it's comedy. So my <laughs> first, so first year was called free stand-up comedy. Second year was called more free stand-up. And then last year I called it free stand-up will never die. So I think, like, and it's hard to go bigger than that. So I think this year I'm going to call it you can't escape free stand-up. <laughs> and it'll have... Um, because like also I'm writing it and my way of writing my shows has always been just write the material and make it as funny as possible and in July work out what the structure is. Um, and I'm looking at what I've got so far if there's a theme emerging and actually all of it's kind of about escape. Like not on purpose, I guess. Maybe that's just on my mind a bit. You've got to chuck in a bit of soil yeah. for that. So I'll chuck in some soil. 